Sinspiration presents this audio teaching by Adrian Sanso Ali. We hope that it will inspire you in your quest for the truth. Good morning. How are you today? Have any of you been stressed out recently? Has any of you felt overworked, burned out? Do you ever feel that you can't cope? You know, something funny. Um, those who know me a little more probably know that I have a very busy life. I always seem to be running around and going crazy and crazy and crazy like uh, we would have liked to have been here more this year and we can only be here today because of very tight and crazy schedule. Sometimes I can't help laughing when, <laughs> when people come to me and go, oh, I'm so stressed, and they, they don't do anything. In, in <laughs> and I'm thinking, you have no idea. <laughs> it seems to be something that we say a lot in the Western world. I'm stressed, I'm stressed. We just get, we just get uh, what's the word? We get used to saying things like that. Of course, we all have problems in life. There's a famous saying, I'm going to say the watered-down version, poop happens. <laughs> That's life. It's a fact of life. We live in a fallen world. There's always something or another that's not going perfect. And if we're not careful, it's easy to end up with anxiety, stress, depression, we can get angry, agitated, upset, anxious when things are not going our way. We lose our peace. We can say that we lose our peace. So what do we really need in our lives as an antidote to life stresses? Peace. We need peace. And that's what I'd like to talk about today. The peace of God the peace of God. It's what we need in our lives. You know, uh, probably most of you know that the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And you know, the Jews say shalom as a greeting, both to say hello and to say goodbye. They're always saying shalom, shalom, shalom. And of course, it means peace. And the Muslims do the same. Salam. They say assalamu alaikum, which means peace be upon you. And the answer is, salam, which means, and upon you, peace. Yet I see very little peace in the Middle East. And that's the place where they most use that greeting. It reminds me of Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14. And I'll be using the New International Version for most of my scriptures today. Jeremiah 6 verse 14 says, peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. And that's exactly what's happening. We get shalom, a lot of shalom, a lot of salam, and yet they're all killing each other. I think that that greeting is popular in the Middle East because of all the war and strife there. People want peace. Everybody wants peace. They desire it with all of their hearts, but there's no peace. Do you know that Jesus also used that greeting when meeting people? 
We have an example in Luke chapter 24, verse 36, where it says, While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. That's shalom. He came there and said, Shalom. And Paul began his letters in the same way. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3 is a good example where it says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he normally started his, his letters. Peace. Grace and peace to you. He wished people peace. Jesus wished people peace. Nowadays, many people in war-torn areas of the world that are wishing each other peace. We Christians in the Western world have forgotten this greeting because we live in relative peace. We don't have uh, people trying to kill us every day. Thank God. Nowadays, the only place we hear this greeting is during some church services when they say, the peace of the Lord be always with you in some denominations. They call it passing the peace. But it's just become an empty form, like a platitude. We say, yes, the peace of the Lord be always with you. And it's a nice thing to say in church. But it doesn't mean anything for us anymore. But we in the Western world need peace just as much as anybody else. Because we don't feel a constant and lasting peace in our hearts and in our lives. And that's what we desperately need. Because the true peace of God is not just the absence of war and violence. It goes way beyond that. So if we look at the word peace in the Bible, we find, of course, the Hebrew word shalom. The Greek word, which we find in the New Testament, the translation of shalom in Greek, is not so well known. It's eirene. Is there anybody here whose name is Irene? You know the, word, the, the name Irene actually means peace. Peace. But what you may not know is this Hebrew word shalom, the, the actual root for this, this word about peace, it actually means complete or whole. To be complete or whole. It conveys a sense of profound tranquility. In the Bible, shalom is not just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of something better in its place. It's a state of mind, a state of soul, a state of spirit. We can see an example of this word in Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 to 31. This is, uh, when you first look at this, um, this scripture, sometimes it, it may look like I'm, 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 I'm finding my words, I'm looking for my words in my head, despite English being my, my native tongue. But that's because I always preach in Spanish. So I'm used to preaching in Spanish, it just comes so easily. If I start speaking in Spanish, let me know. <laughs> so it's very strange for me to speak in English. I have to, I have to think carefully about what I'm what I'm trying to say. Anyway, in this scripture, Joshua 
chapter 8, verses 30 to 31. When we first look at this, we think, well, I don't see anything about peace here. Yet the word shalom is actually in this passage. Is there anybody brave among you who can guess where we find in this passage? I'm going to just read it. It says, Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, a servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. Somebody said? Uncut. Yes, that's it. An altar of uncut stones. That's the word shalom, or a derivative. Some of them, you know, it's a, sometimes it's used as a, as a verb as well. So, an altar of uncut stones. Peaceful stones. Stones that have their peace. They're whole. They're complete. So, this gives us a little insight into what the word peace actually means in, in the Bible. Whole and complete. And note that another thing we see in the Bible is that shalom doesn't necessarily mean that your life is simple. You can have peace in very complicated situations. And here's a scripture in Job chapter 5, or Job chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. It says, you will laugh at destruction and famine and need not fear the wild animals. For you will have a covenant with the stones of the field, and the wild animals will be at peace with you. You will know that your tent is secure. You will take stock of your property and find nothing missing. Of course, here we have the word peace here. The animals will be at peace with you. But there's another word for peace here. I'll show you here. Your tent is secure. This word secure is the same word shalom. As here, peace. Secure. Your tent is secure. Now, if we look at the King James Version, that'll give us an, uh, an example of this uh, verse 24 in the King James Version. I'm not normally a proponent of using the King James Version. It, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot of uh, very well-known mistakes in the King James Bible. But uh, because it's a very direct translation... Uh, they try to make it word for word as much as possible. Sometimes it can give us an insight into the original Hebrew. If you don't know Hebrew, then uh, you can look at the King James Version and see some of these expressions. And one example is this in verse 24 in King James Version. It says, Thou shalt know that thy tabernacle shall be in peace. So the actual modern equivalent would be this, Your tent is secure. But that's the proof, really, that the, the original Hebrew word is actually peace. It's shalom, which also means secure. And, you know, we can even have shalom in war. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 21 and 22, it says, Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. Now, you know, in Hebrew, it actually says he asked his brothers about their peace. So again, the New International Version is a modern translation. It translates it into the way we would actually say it today. Today, we would say this is 
completely correct this translation. He asked his brothers how they were. But what it actually says in Hebrew is he asked them about their peace. How is your peace? How is your shalom? And they're there waiting to fight against the Philistines and Goliath and all of this. And, uh, and he goes and he asks them, how is your peace? <laughs> how is your inner peace? How is your inner peace? The Hebrew concept of shalom understands that life is complex with many moving parts and many different relationships between, between people and different aspects of your life. But all of those things are working together and in order. Not perfect, but you're coping, you're holding it together. And you know that English expression, holding it together, actually has its origins in this Hebrew word for peace. When you're holding it together, it means you've got your act together. Everything is under control. That means you have your peace. That other phrase, get your act together, is actually the equivalent of the ancient Hebrews would say, get your peace together, be peaceful, be at peace. So to have peace or shalom in your life is to be whole, complete and restored. If not, then your peace comes apart, you lose your peace and your life needs to be restored. You know, we see the example in the Gospels when Jesus healed people. Sometimes it says he made them whole. So that's like giving them peace in their physical bodies. He made them whole again. They became, their bodies became peaceful again. Had everything together, functioning together, working good the way it's supposed to do. So that gives you an idea of this concept of of peace. Peace. And of course, uh, shalom is also used as a verb in the Bible. We can see, for example, in 1 Kings chapter 9 and verse 25. And this time I'm going to use the Revised Standard Version, which is a little more of a direct uh, word for word than the New International. So I can show you this, what it says here. 1 Kings 9 verse 25 in the Revised Standard Version. It says, Three times a year Solomon used to offer up burnt offerings and peace offerings upon the altar which he built to the Lord, burning incense before the Lord. So he finished the house. Now here again, there's two places here where shalom is used. Here, of course, peace offerings. We know that. But does anybody know where the other word for peace is? Any guesses? Yes, somebody said finished. He finished the house. That would be a verb form of the word shalom. He finished the house, which is the same thing that Jesus did when he healed people. He finished, the, he completed them, he made them whole. So he made the house whole, he made the house complete, he finished it. And uh, we have this... Um, this um, Scripture in Exodus chapter 22 about restitution. Exodus chapter 22 verses 1 to 3. Back in the New International Version. It says, Whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four, sh- four, head, four sheep for the sheep. If a sheep is caught breaking in a... If a sorry, not a sheep. If a thief... 
is caught breaking in at night and is struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. But if it happens after sunrise, the defender is guilty of bloodshed. Anyone who steals must certainly make restitution, but if they have nothing, they must be sold to pay for their theft. And there we have the magic word again here. In this case, it's restitution. Making restitution is making peace with somebody. And just one more scripture about that in Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 7. It says, when the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, he causes their enemies to make peace with them. So uh, making peace, of course, is reconciliation. It's reconciling. And uh, in those olden days, when two kingdoms or armies made shalom with each other, when they made peace with each other, they didn't just stop killing each other. It isn't like today when they say, okay, they're at peace because they've, it's a ceasefire. They've just stopped killing each other for a while. No, in, the, in these cases, they also started to cooperate with each other and work together to create something better. That's the real biblical concept of reconciliation. Now, of course, the Bible says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, sometimes we call this the Christmas verse of the Bible. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of course, this is a big prophecy about Jesus Christ, and it's calling him the Prince of Peace. That's one of his big, important titles. And then when he was born, what did the shepherds see? We read in Luke chapter 2, verses 13 to 14, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace. So peace was proclaimed to mankind when Jesus was born. Jesus came to make peace between God and mankind. As our, our uh, what's the word? Abogado. Now I'm thinking in Spanish. How do you say abogado in English? <laughs> Advocate. Yeah, that's it. So Jesus came to bring peace. He came to bring us peace. And it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostilities. Talking about, in this case, Jews and Gentiles. Now we are all God's people. We are God's people. Because Jesus came and he made everybody one. Now there's no Greek or Jew no uh, male or female, um, you know the scripture where he says that. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus brought it all together, brings us all together as one. He, bring, he makes peace with us. Romans chapter 5 verse 1, again it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace why? Because we have been justified through faith. 
justified through the law doesn't work. Trying to keep the law so that we can be saved or so that we can please God doesn't work. It says justified through faith. Then we can have peace because Jesus is our, is our justice. What's the word again? Righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. I'm thinking in Spanish now. I need to preach more often in English. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So, of course, this is talking about peace here, and also this word reconcile has to do with the same thing, making peace making peace. Now, I'm going to ask you the big, big question. If we have this peace that the Bible's talking about, where is it? <laughs> where is it? Sometimes we might think, when we're going through our stressful lives, we might think to ourselves, where is it? I don't see this peace, this peace of God. What can we do to receive this peace, to be able to really feel and live this true shalom from God every day of our lives? God gives it to us. He offers it to us. The Bible says Jesus already made peace. He's already shed his blood on the cross. Jesus has made peace with us. It was announced at his very birth and even 400 years before his birth. So where is it? Where's my peace? <laughs> that God gives me. Well, there's three aspects of the peace, peace of God. There's three aspects of it. The first I call having peace with God. Peace with God. How can we have peace, first of all, with God? And the first point of that is spend time with God. Spend time with God. And this is a single most important point. There is no substitute for quality time with God. If you spend your life being stressed out, anxious, worried, then it's very probable that you're not spending enough quality time with God. Because spending quality time in a personal relationship with God, it produces fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. We all know Galatians 5, verse 22, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It starts out, love, joy, peace. And sometimes we look at these fruits of the Spirit and we think, oh, okay, I've got to do this. I've got to struggle to show some love. I've got to struggle to show some joy. I've got to struggle to show some peace and, and, and try to get some peace in my life and all this. And we're fighting for it. You don't have to do that. It comes automatically. It's like an apple tree that grows apples automatically. The apple tree doesn't have to stand there and go until the apples pop out. They just, it's, it's what it does. An apple tree makes apples, an orange tree makes oranges. It can't not make oranges. You know, every, a couple of times a year, we have an orange tree in our garden and oranges appear on it. We don't have to do anything, it just happens. This is what the fruit of the Spirit is talking about. It's what happens when you spend quality time with God, when you're in close relationship with God. 
And, and uh, quality time with God is not, oh God, please help me with this and help me with that and, and give me some money that I need and this and that and the other and the other and the other and everything else. That's complaining to God. Sometimes we, we need to get it out of our system and complain to him. Yes, we can do that. God loves us. And uh, of course, we all have needs that we need to ask about as well. But that's not quality time with God. Quality time with God is spending time with him. Go and eat a hamburger with him. <laughs> I like hamburgers. <laughs> Go and sit and look at the sunset and say, Go, oh God, thank you for creating this wonderful, awesome sunset and things like that. It, it's spending time with him like you would spend time with your best friend. Jesus called his disciples his friends. He said, you're my friends now, not only my servants. So uh, this is, a, I think, the single most important thing. If you want peace with God, you need to spend some quality time with him. And it will automatically happen. There is nothing like the presence of God. You know, being in God's presence produces an intense feeling of peace and well-being. Whatever situation we're in. That's where we get examples in the Bible of, of uh, somebody like Stephen, for example. He was being stoned, and yet he had the peace of God. He was showing the peace of God in the worst possible situation. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. Peace of God is something that happens in your heart. Nothing can move you if you're in the presence of God. If you have this full understanding and knowledge that God is with you and you're trusting him, nothing can move you. Nothing will take away your peace. You won't have any problems in life that you perceive as problems you know the apostle paul is famous for his big passage about all the nasty things that happened to him shipwrecked beaten with rods stoned to death practically literally i mean very very bad things happened to paul and yet he said those are just light afflictions compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us my light afflictions he calls them see his his uh uh, what's the word? His uh, attitude, the way he saw things was different from what a, a, any normal person may have saw the same, the same uh, situation. He was full of God's peace in his heart. He had that close relationship with God. So the second point I'd like to say on that is to meditate on his word. Meditate on God's word. And you know why? Because what has that got to do with peace? The Bible contains many promises for you. And we'll look at a couple of them in a bit. Knowing what God says in his word is fundamental to your relationship to him. It's fundamental for understanding who God is. That the Bible presents God as a loving father who loves us. And a lot of times we blame God for things that we would never think of doing to our children. And you know, the, the, there's a scripture that says, um, who, if your son asked for a fish, who would give him a snake? Or, your, or if he asked for a bread, you wouldn't give a stone. And, and Jesus says, if you who are bad know how to do that, do good to your children, how much better will God do for us? So God is the loving father. And now when you understand that, when you meditate on the word of God, you begin to see God as a loving father. You, need to see, you begin to see how good God really is. 
And you see these promises because when God says something, he means it. It's not like a human when I say something, oh, I'll pay you back next week. <laughs> God says, do this and this will happen. Do that and that will happen. They're promises. They're promises. And of course, in relationship to that comes a third point, which is obey him. Obey God. That means don't sin. Don't do things bad. <laughs> and I'm not talking about little things. Sometimes we do something we don't really know that we're doing wrong or something like that. I'm talking about doing the things right that you know you should be doing. If you're living in sin and you know consciously that you're sinning, then you know it's impossible to feel at peace with God. You're living in disobedience to him. So God still loves you. We love our children even when they do bad. We still love them, but we wish they would do good. We want them to do good. We don't want them to do bad. So God still loves you, but you will feel ashamed of your sin. Remember, Adam and Eve hid from God after they sinned. They, they're shameful. They lost their peace. They didn't have it all together after that. They hid from God. We already have God's forgiveness. Jesus already died for you before you were even born. He's not going to die again. He already did. He died for all of your sins, even the ones you haven't committed yet. Because he already died for all of the sins you're ever going to commit in your whole life before, he was even, before you were even born. So your sins were already forgiven before you committed your first sin. But if you're living in disobedience and rebellion, you can't feel at peace with God. So that, of course, is a, Americans would say, a no-brainer. I don't think they say that in England, do we? But anyway, it, it means it's an obvious thing. Another very important point to having peace with God is to trust him. And I'd say this is the most important thing. Of course, every one of them is the most important thing. <laughs> but, uh, but this one is, is really, really important. When you trust God, then you can receive his peace. Because trusting is believing what he says in his word. For example, how many of you believe Romans 8, 28? I'm going backwards now. Romans 8, 28. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things God works for the good. It doesn't mean God makes all the bad things in your life for some good purpose or another. It means when things happen, because things do happen, we get problems in this life. This is a fallen world. Somebody can come and kick us in the backside and something like that. <laughs> God will turn us around. If you have this relationship with God, note, it just doesn't mean God, everything works out for everybody. It says those who love him, who have been called according to purpose, you have to love him. For things to work out in your life. That promise is for those who love him. That means those who have a close relationship with him. If you're walking with God, if you're in close relationship with him, then no matter what bad things come your way, God will turn it around for good. And that's a promise. Because when God says something in the Bible, it's a promise. It's sure. It's 100%. 
So the question comes down to, do you really believe in God? Do you believe God when he says these things? Is he real to you? You know, there's so many Christians who have God as just some kind of academic concept. Do you trust what God says in the Bible? Do you actually trust it? Trust is so important. It's a big part of believing. The Bible says those who believe will be saved. And of course, it's not just, we know that salvation is not just somebody saying, okay, yeah, I believe that God exists. Even the devils believe that God exists. It's actually believing what he says, believing him, trusting what he says, trusting him, putting our trust in him. And we see this, uh, it says it perfectly in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. It says, you will keep in perfect peace those who mi whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Notice, when we trust in God, we're working backwards here. When we trust in God, it means our minds will be steadfast and therefore God will keep us in perfect peace. The result of trust is a steadfast mind and the result of that is perfect peace. Perfect peace, it says. No matter what comes your way, God will keep us in perfect peace. We will have it together. We'll have our act together. We'll have everything under control. God will really have everything under control, but we'll have trust in God that that will be the case, that that is actually the case. Trust in God produces peace. So the second big aspect of uh, the peace of God. The first is peace with God, having peace with God. And the second one is having peace with yourself. I'm going to give a couple of examples that I've learned from my own life about this. And the first one is something that I call first work, then play. This is something that I tell my kids all the time. First work, then play. <laughs> it's my favorite. You know, procrastination will take away your peace. First, do what needs to be done. Just do it. Meet your problems head on. Don't run away from them. There are lots of people who just run away from their problems. They run away from the truth. They stick their heads in the sand like a ostrich. Is it the ostriches who do that? Um, a lot of people do that. Meet your problems head on. Deal with it. Deal with the problem. The problem's coming, don't run away. Deal with it directly. First work, then play. But equally important then is the second part of it. First work, but then play. And lots of people don't think about that. Of course, for us, we say play. I said play to my kids, but, but for us grown-ups, play might be just going to bed and sleeping, man, resting. <laughs> That's plenty play for me. <laughs> so, so what I mean by play is rest and recreation, recreation, you know, recreation actually means recreation, it's when we recreate ourselves, we pull ourselves together, we get our act together, we get our peace together, it's crucially important, recreation is, but only after you've done a chunk of good work, do you know why? Otherwise, you won't have peace. 
You'll be playing, you'll be resting, but you're thinking, oh, I've got all these things I've got to do, all these things, all these things, all these things. When you've done, not all the things, but when you've done enough things, you can say, ha, I've done what I can, now I'm going to rest. We were created to work and to be productive. There's hundreds of scriptures in the Bible about that, a lot of them in the book of Proverbs. We're created to do work and be productive. There's actually, in the New Testament, there's a scripture that, says, uh, if I remember correctly, he who doesn't provide for his family is worth it than an unbeliever. So we are created to work and be productive. Somebody who's not working, not doing anything with their lives, you can't have peace that way either. Peace doesn't mean doing nothing. So yes, we're created to work and be productive, but even God rested on the seventh day of creation. He rested, it says in Genesis, that he looked back and said he saw that everything was good. Ah, he actually had took pride in his work. Of course, God himself doesn't need to rest. This was like an example for us, what we need to be doing. God, of course, doesn't need to rest. Jesus himself, when he was arguing with the Jews, the, the Jewish leaders about the Sabbath, he said... My father is working to this day, and so am I. You know, and then they all wanted to stone him. Basically, he was saying that God doesn't keep the Sabbath. Of course he doesn't. He's God. But uh, it says here in the Bible that God rested on the seventh day of creation. It was a symbol for us that we need to stop and rest, look back on our work we've done, and feel pride. You know, a good sense of pride. Feel proud about the work we've done. That's what God did. He looked at it and said, oh, that's good. It's all good, what I created. So uh, this is the, the, the thing that I found in my own life that it's incredibly important. You know, I go to bed at night and, and, and I can't sleep if I haven't had a productive day. But if I have, you know, I say to my wife, oh, I accomplished a lot today. Hey, and I feel great and I sleep like a log. It's, it's wonderful. That's what works in my life. Now, another point about peace with yourself is don't worry, be happy. <laughs> don't worry, because worry is the opposite of shalom. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 25 to 33, this is a famous passage about worrying Jesus said, don't worry. It's a big passage here. I'll just read it quick. It says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the, the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor, sorry, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6.33, one of my 
all-time favorite scriptures. Ah, seek ye first the kingdom of God. We have an English Bible study in my house every Wednesday in English. So uh, a couple of them are musicians. One of them is a, a choir master from a, an Anglican church in Palma. So uh, every now and again, we just burst into song. Because <laughs> so many things in English Bible, remind, I was brought up in the Anglican church. So so many things in, uh, in the Bible remind me of what I used to sing in junior church when I was a kid. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know the song probably. But anyway, <laughs> I love this scripture. This is a promise from God. This is a promise. Do we trust God enough to obey him when it says here, seek ye first the kingdom of God and trust that he will keep his word? It's all down to trust. And you can trust a person much more when you have a close relationship with them. You see how everything ties in together. says, your Father in heaven knows that you need these things. This is talking about your needs. Don't worry about your needs. God will provide. The Lord will provide. And there's something similar in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, when it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. How many people today suffer with anxiety? People all over the place seem to have anxiety attacks. I didn't know what that was when I was a kid. Seems like it didn't exist. And nowadays everybody has anxiety attacks all the time. It says, cast your anxiety on him because, here's another true statement from the Bible that we need to trust in and understand, he cares for you. God is our heavenly father. He cares for us. He loves us. Let God care for you. Cast your cares on him. There's another one that we, we talk about leaving our, uh, what did Jesus say? My yoke is light, my burden is light. Cast your yoke on me, give me your burdens. Jesus wants, man, he wants our problems. <laughs> give them to him, <laughs> you can have them. <laughs> I don't want them. And then and here's another big promise from God in uh, John Chapter 14 and verse 27. This is Jesus when he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Notice, it's not when God says things, it's not like when people say things, it's different. He says, I'm going to do it for true, for real. I give you my peace. And then he said, Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. These are actually commandments. Their commandments. Do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I'm currently in our church here in, the, in Villafranca, in the center of the island. I'm, give, I'm giving a, a big sermon series about emotions. It's a real long story. It'll take me all day to explain it. But the Bible says we can, we can dominate uh, emotions. We can, what's the word? What you do with a wild animal? Tame. You can tame your emotions, not stifle them, tame them so that from the very heart they come out the right way and do the right things. So do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid because God has given us his peace. Jesus has given us his peace. 
We need to take it. The same as salvation. We're already saved. Jesus already died on the cross. He, he died to say, it's the Bible says that he saved all the world. God so loved the world. We have salvation, but we need to reach out and accept it. We need to take it. I can give you a gift, but if you don't take it, then you're not going to have it. <laughs> you say, it's yours. Here, come and get it. The same with peace. He's leaving it with us. Jesus said, peace, I leave with you. I'm leaving you my peace. Now, take it. Take it. <laughs> then the next point about peace with yourself. So first work, then play. Then don't worry. Which, as of course, this has to do with the trust him that we saw earlier. And then the third one about in this section would be choose peace. Choose peace. What does that mean? Well, there's a scripture in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15 that says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Now, what a lot of people don't know is that when this verb here, rule, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, it's actually in the sense of arbitration in the original Greek here. It's talking about in a sense of a referee or a judge. So when you thinking about doing something or you need to make a decision, pray to God about it, and then your decision should be based on the peace of Christ in your heart. I'll give you an example. We had a, we had a woman in our church who uh, escaped from this really bad church. There's one of these rogue churches that turned kind of crazy. They were abusing their people, spiritual abuse, all kinds of terrible stuff happened. A lot of them escaped and came to our church. But this, this one woman was really badly affected by it. And she was telling Sandy and I one day, she was saying, I'm going to go there to their house. I think God has told me that I need to just get this over with. I'm going to go there to that bad pastor's house. I'm going to walk in and tell him, and in front of his wife as well, what you know he did, what happened, and all this, and that and the other and the other, and tell him this and that and the other and the other and the other. You know, really, she was going to take it out on him, get, get this problem off her shoulders, face her problem head on, and all of this. You know what we told her? We said, first, go and pray about it. Pray to God about it. Spend time talking to God about this plan of yours. And then listen to the peace of God in your heart. If going to tell this pastor all these things will give you the peace in your heart, if you feel peaceful about that, after talking to God about it, then do it. If not, then don't do it. She didn't do it. She came back afterwards and realized, no, it didn't give her any peace, that idea did. It was more peaceful to leave it with God. Give the burden to God. You take it. And she just left the situation. In that case, she was letting the peace of Christ rule in her heart. We knew that. We knew that from the Holy Spirit. That The Holy Spirit was telling us that she was not supposed to go and do that. But we didn't tell her that. We told her to do this what the Bible says. So she'd see it herself and she saw it. That's what this means in Colossians. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. If you make your decisions based on the peace of Christ in your heart, 
then you'll be going the right way. You'll be following the Holy Spirit. So that's what, that's, that's what this means, to choose peace. Choose peace. And then another point I'd like to make is to rest in him. Ah, hey, here's that scripture. I did have it. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Another one of my favorite scriptures. Isn't that nice? Just, just reading that makes me feel... Ah, <laughs> I've done it. I mean, in, in some times in my life, I've been terrible problems, mountains on my head. And I've thought about that scripture. And I did it. I said, Jesus, take it. Here it is. Take my problems. You want my problems. I don't. So have them. I'm generous. You can have my problems. And then the result was rest. The peace of God was the result. Psalm 23, I'm sure we all know. Psalm 23. But have you ever stopped to really meditate on it, on Psalm 23? There it is. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. This is a New International Version. A lot of times we, we know the King James Version better. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Not because you're going to whack me with them. <laughs> you're going to use them to protect me. To keep my tent at peace, as we read in that other scripture. My tent secure. You are there with your rod and staff. See, now I've spoiled the whole nice feeling of this scripture. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Notice that we still have our problems. The problems are still there. We can stand in front of our problems and feast. <laughs> you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How nice. You know, we all know this, this psalm, but sometimes when we're stressed out, when life has put its mountains on top of us, we need to just sit one afternoon when we're spending our quality time with God, open Psalm 23 and read through it really slowly and think about every single thing that it's saying. Meditate on it. Wow. Just doing that will give you peace. Anyway, the third aspect then, we have peace with God, peace with yourself, and the third aspect of peace is, of course, peace with others. Peace with our neighbors, with other human beings. This is the difficult one. And I'm only going to put one point here because I don't have any more room on my screen. <laughs> no, I only have one point. Because very important, this point. It's called forgive others. Forgiving others, it's part of obeying God that we saw earlier, obeying him. As God has forgiven you, you must also forgive others. It's not an option for a Christian. It's not an option. 
Unforgiveness, do you know, unforgiveness is the single biggest cause of people losing their peace. You don't have it all together. You're unraveled. That's another concept that ties in perfectly with the Hebrew original concept of shalom. You get unraveled when you don't have peace with somebody, when you haven't forgiven them. You're the one who suffers, not the other person. That's why in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, Yep, I'm going backwards again. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. It says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort, it says. We have to make effort to be reconciled to our brothers and sisters when we are not getting along with them or to anybody we're not getting along with. And this means, first and foremost, no grudges or bitterness against anybody. Something that I like to say, which, which helps me, is love your enemies, pray for your enemies, and then forget your enemies. <laughs> forget that they exist. Don't carry on. No, I've, I love them. I've prayed for them, and then forget about them. How many books on psychology, famous books, have come out recently about toxic people and getting them out of your life? You know, well, that's it. There's always going to be somebody rubbing us up the wrong way. <laughs> Love them, pray for them, and then forget about them. Don't hold bitterness or grudges to it for anybody. And sometimes we can say, well, that's not fair. Why do I... I mean, I mean, this is a bad guy, man. <laughs> you know, there's nothing fair in this world. If you're waiting for things to be fair, you'll be waiting the rest of your life. Your own salvation is not fair. It's not fair that Jesus had to die for your sins, but he did. Salvation by grace is not fair. We don't have to do anything to be saved. Just believe him, and that's it. But the, the points that I've put here, believe him, trust him, all this Thank God that things are not fair. Thank God. We, the only thing we deserve is to die and rot. <laughs> God has given us salvation. God has given us life. God offers us eternal life for free. That's not fair. Think about that when you think of other things in your life that's not fair. So true peace is taking what is broken and restoring it in your life, in your relationships, in your everyday life, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed. Now, I've just got a couple of scriptures more. One of them is another one of my favorite scriptures. You can tell I get stressed a lot in my life. That's why I have all these fav favorite scriptures about, about these kind of things. <laughs> Philippians 4, verses 6 to 7. I love this scripture. Look at it. <laughs> Do not be anxious about anything, it says. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So, yeah, tell God, look, i got this problem, this one and this one. Thank you, God, that you're going to get rid of them. You promise in your word, you'll take our burdens. Thank you. That's what it's saying. And then it said in verse 7, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
this about transcending all understanding. If we think about what Paul went through, for example, how could he keep his peace? That transcends understanding. You don't have to understand it. Just do it. <laughs> Accept God's peace. Keep close to God. Trust him. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I'd like to end with just this one more scripture, which is a very important key as well to keeping your peace. John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus was saying at the end of his life to his disciples, he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have, what? Peace. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. He said, in this world you'll have trouble. Of course you will. This world is full of trouble. But, he said, that's the big but in the English sense of the word, because in American it means something else. Big butt. <laughs> My wife is American. She teaches me how to speak American. I'm practicing for when I go and live there. <laughs> it says, but take heart. That's a, that's a big but in the English sense. But take heart, he said. Take heart. Why? I have overcome the world. Jesus is above it. He has overcome it. You can do the same. I mean, not literally in a physical sense. You can't overcome the world. But we can do that in our hearts. Take heart, he said. You can overcome the world in your hearts. You can have the peace of God. Jesus said he's told you all these things so that you can have peace. Another reason to meditate on the word of God and understand that. So, may the peace of the Lord be always with you. We're going to be here just today. Uh, we'd like to have been here for more, but unfortunately the hotel is full. But anyway, Sandy and I will be here for most of today. I have to be here this evening because I actually work for this hotel every Friday night playing music here. So you'll find me in the bar downstairs later on playing the saxophone. And in the meantime, we'll be around here if you have any questions about anything, if you want to talk about the Bible. I love talking about the Bible, so uh, you're welcome to come and talk to us. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. We trust that you have been enlightened by this audio presentation. For more help in your personal quest for truth, please visit our website, www.sinkspiration.com, where you will find information and audio teachings on a wide variety of subjects. Thank you for supporting this educational outreach. 